0: Stop and take a trip down on my block on. When you see hidden potential Young minds sharper than pencil Light. And ain't afraid to speak their mind If they got something against you nope. We standing with you We tackle issues like civic pride Hate will cease to exist Let's put our differences aside From my side to your side From Dutch town to south side From Pimrose to north side From Benton Park to Old right up, North no. the West End to West Side We blessed when we step out nope. We stand down, rise up Stand together, wise up.
1: This is Stitch Cast Studio, produced by St. Louis Story Stitchers in St. Louis, Missouri.
0: Welcome to another edition of Stitchcast Studio Live, where St. Louis Story Stitchers is broadcasting from the Central Library in downtown St. Louis. Youth leaders alongside our special guest, Dr. Davis, the St. Louis City Health Director, will answer questions surrounding vaccines. They say who that, but you already knew that, that beat them Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers.
2: Story Stitchers. Hello, everybody. Under the sound of my voice, I want to thank you for tuning in, whether that be on Zoom or any other platform that you've joined us. We want to thank you for coming in. And uh, we hope that you find this insightful. So let's hop right into it. How y'all feeling? I'm feeling great. Do y'all know who this is right here? You know, uh, we we usually introduce the guests. We, you know so We usually introduce the guests last. My bad. You know what I'm saying? We got a special guest right here, so we we a little we're, we're a little discombobulated a little bit, if you will, if you will. We got the director of the Department of Health with us, Dr. Davis. How are you?
1: I am great. Beautiful. Okay. So glad to be here. Beautiful, beautiful.
2: So before we even get into uh, what we're here for, for those who may not know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Absolutely. So my name is Dr. Mati Fadza Llachwayo Davis. Um, uh, Dr. Mati is what most people call me. I'm the director of health for the city of St. Louis. Um, I'm originally from Harare, Zimbabwe. Stand up. You see the print. You see the print. And um, I am an infectious diseases doctor by training. So Uh, I think I calculated it once. Uh, From the time of kindergarten, I think I've been in school for 30 years continuously. It's a lot. But I'm an infectious diseases doctor by training. I have a public health degree. Um, So, you know, undergrad, med school, uh, did a, a master's degree, did research, did a fellowship and then worked as um, an infectious disease doctor for a couple of years. My passion though is community engagement and I'm unapologetic about equity for black and brown communities. Um, And uh, that was my journey prior to becoming the director of health under the incomparable queen, Mayor Tashara Jones, Mm, um, who has a historic cabinet, uh, the most diverse. I'm one of many powerful uh, female leaders. Uh, so what a time to lead It's such an exciting time to lead I know right Beautiful yeah. Beautiful But right out, yeah. I'm also a wife to Dr. Jesse Davis Ooh, I'm also so yeah, a mother to Aneni And Naniso Davis So you know Just every woman over here You know hey, Big ya. myself up a second Hey yeah.
2: Most <laughs> deaf, Most deaf, Most deaf. Oh. So uh, first of all Let us uh, thank the uh, CDC Foundation For uh, making this possible For us to do this Um Ladies and gentlemen, we're here to to discuss uh, or to address uh, vaccine misinformation and COVID in general. COVID in general, and so we got people on the stage that know what they're talking about, especially especially Dr. Davis uh, if you're in Zoom listening to this right now if you have any questions for the doctor we encourage you to put them down in the chat uh, we have people in the audience that are going to ask questions uh, so, so we're we going to be hitting you with questions from all different angles you 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 to you about to get a lot of questions and so uh, yes we uh, definitely encourage you if you have any questions regardless of how silly you might think they are it's a safe place here please put them down in the chat uh, and so that we can get them to the doctor and get you as much information as possible That being said, uh, let's get started. I have a few questions uh, sent from members of the audience already. So uh, let's get started. Uh, Our first question, You, you said on Twitter, I was born in Zimbabwe. My father fought for independence. My mother an activist in her own right. My first protest was at age 11. I told my mother I was going to the library and she saw me on the front page of the news the next day. So how, how, how did your experiences as a youth prepare you for where you are today?
1: I'm sorry, can we just have a second for the research? Um, I have been on CNN, BBC, Al Jazeera many a time. I have been interviewed by journalists uh, here in the city and nationally. And I don't know that everybody's dug that deep into my Twitter. I, I think I need to go check my feed when I get home and maybe most get, of, get some of, stuff of make sure, off. Because, make sure you- so first of all, let me just say how impressed I am and how more impressed that that's what you would lead with. Because it says a lot about y'all um, because that's the essence of who I am. You know, I'm very blessed. I was born um, in what, you know, uh, the colonialists call a low-income country, but there's nothing low-income about where I'm from, you're right. I was born, uh, I was raised by a single mother. My father who died when I was 15 is a war hero um, who fought for the independence of our country. And much like many of our veterans, even here in the US, um, there's a lot of burden associated with that after the fact and not a lot of support. Um, But I was raised by fighters, I guess is what it is. I was raised by people who didn't accept the status quo, um, who taught us to be the same way. Um, And my mother, who's truly the hero of my story, valued education. And so we knew from the time we could talk that we um, needed an education in order for our dreams to come true. She didn't have the money to make that happen. She couldn't pay for it like other people's privilege affords them. And so I remember the first thing she bought me was a bicycle and I thought, dope, you know, she wants us to play. And it it came with strings attached because it came with a library card and we were only to use it to go to school and to go to the library. So I grew up very young with a love of books. My entire journey has been about academic excellence um, in order to be able to fulfill those dreams, um, scholarships, um, and, and and really being assertive about my journey. Um, but I'd never like to make the message. I think it's really unfair when people get up here and they say, hard work, hard work. Um, there's a lot of blessings there, a lot of luck. Um, and as I've been afforded the opportunities to be in certain institutions, I'll tell you that a lot of the people who prop themselves up as it took hard work, they have people who answer the phone, yeah. who pick up the phone for them, just like yeah. I can now, right? If someone needed me to pick up the phone for them, I have, Within my rolodex, people that can help them. So it's a culmination of all of those things, but certainly the foundation was a mother who really instilled within me the 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 importance of hard work.
2: Beautiful, beautiful. And before I get into the next question, I just want to uh, to uh, verbally state that um, as far as as far as uh, the research and the care goes into uh, our podcast and to how deep we look into our guests, uh, it's definitely a team effort.
1: That's amazing. So, uh,
2: like, 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 just because we the ones on camera, like, people might assume, oh, yeah, we the ones doing all the research. We're not doing all the work. It's definitely a team effort. So I uh, just wanted to clarify that. Um,
1: Y'all so excellent. Of- <laughs> I love it here.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. so
1: much Black excellence in here. I live. Beautiful. This is amazing.
2: Um. So... As an eleven-year-old, yeah, what 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 go what goes through your mind? Like I, I know you, I know you were raised by fighters, and um, I know that uh, people like uh, Kanye West or a Tupac might exemplify people that that weren't raised to be silent, that mm-hmm, were raised to speak mm-hmm. out, and how that could also sometimes get you in maybe some unnecessary trouble. Too. Absolutely. So so one, what goes through the mind of an eleven-year-old sneaking to a protest? First of all, and um. And, and, and can you talk about a case where your willingness to fight may have landed you in some trouble that oh, yeah. you didn't particularly have to be in?
1: Oh, yeah. So it's good trouble, right? Um, and uh, al- along the way to learning and really defining what good trouble is, sometimes you get into some bad trouble and you learn. Um, and you have to make the decision and have the willpower to decide that you want to stay within that lane, right? So you can use your powers for good or evil. That's it. That's a choice. But I will say when I talk about that foundation my mom instilled, I talked about the education, but the true center of it was God. So I was raised in a very, very spiritual, God-loving, God-centric family. And when my mother put me on a plane at 18 years old and sent me with one suitcase across the world, took a two-day Greyhound bus, we could do a podcast just on how crazy that journey was, um, from D.C. to a small town called Springfield, Missouri, through a bunch of cornfields for my first undergraduate experience. That's faith, man. It's a lot of things that just can't be alive even on that 48-hour Greyhound bus, right? So, you know, I was finally free and alone at 18. I'd never been, you know, that independent. And those undergrad years could have gone any kind of way. You know what I mean? I could have made some really poor choices. Um, I had a lot of fun. I did a lot of bad stuff in college, you know what I mean? But at the center of it, there was something that always kept me from taking it too far. Because again, the foundation that my mom instilled in me was very, um, it was about, it's, it's those values. And for us in my household, those values were based on a love for God, um, a respect for education and family over everything. And I think that no matter where I've been, no matter how far away I've been from people, that's always stayed, Um, but I'm blessed, right? Because when you talk about some of the other people who didn't get into maybe some good trouble, people, you know, there's so much trauma in our community, right, the, the, the continued ripple effects of slavery and, and historic and current system, systematic and institutionalized racism means there's a lot of trauma and damage that does not give people the same tools that I'm blessed to have to be able to consistently choose the side of good trouble, right? Um, and so that, that's a reality too. So I know that I'm very fortunate in that respect as well.
2: Beautiful. Beautiful. You're really um, self-aware as well. I
1: mean, you gotta be to get here, child.
2: I believe that. You I go believe through that a lot to get here,
1: so
2: I believe that 100%. For everybody in the audience, uh, we do have a microphone set up just off stage. Uh, so anyone ready to ask a question or that would like to ask a question can just kind of line up uh, at the microphone or stand at the microphone and we'll create the space for your uh, question to be asked. Uh, that being said, before we get into audience questions, uh, I want to invite you two to the conversation.
3: Ah, I definitely have a question or a few questions myself. Uh, me being uh, the type of person I am and the way I came up, I've always had this, this yearning to grow and wanting to gain as much knowledge as possible. So to hear 30 years of consistency, like that's one, that's, that's that's amazing. But my question for that would be 30 years, why medicine?
1: Yeah, man. Didn't know for a long time. Even when I finally got to med school, was very insecure about whether I would made the right direction and I'm not going to sell you a story. If you go to my bio, my bio looks dope. Like I just look like she's never failed. She's always had it figured out. She's brilliant. So let's 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 talk about some facts. Let's let's pull the curtain um, open Number one, if I took an IQ test, i take a test very average. Science for me is very difficult. My natural talent is actually the arts, which is why I think I got so excited to be around you guys because I'm a writer. I'm an orator. You know, I, I thought I was going to be the next Oprah Winfrey. Do you know what I mean? But peer pressure in school was part of it. You know, when you're smart in low-income countries, you're told that only smart people do one of three things, doctor, lawyer, or accountant. And I'm sure you've heard some of those stereotypes from Mary- many like Asian or african African. African cultures as well. And so some of that played into it, but the death of my father changed me forever. Um, I wasn't close to him. He was not equipped to be a good father. So when he came back from the war, just was not supportive, never paid child support. I really resented him and hated how he treated my mom, but I was a kid yearning for a dad as well. And so I lashed out at him and then he got cancer. and did not tell anyone. And he died before we ever had the opportunity to make peace when I was 15. And so the trauma of that and the guilt of that really sort of planted the seed for medicine, not for the traditional reasons, not for the prestige or because I was smart, but because I knew that the last person that was around my father, because he kept his condition a secret, was his medical team. And I just prayed from a place of guilt that they were good people, that they were nurturing and comforting people. So my personality, not my brains really, was what drew me to medicine because it was about the fact that i know i love people you can just tell i can talk all day i love to make people laugh i'll make myself look like a fool to get a laugh out of everyone else i'm a hugger the best my I was born to be a mother. I would quit my job today if it meant that it, you know, put my kids in harm's way. And so I'm just a very interesting dichotomy of I am happen to be good at this, but what I'm truly about is human connection, communication, love, and nurturing. And so when that happened to my dad, it took me there. So I guess the consistency came from a place of It was rooted in something very deep and personal, but it was hard, I failed a lot. So I don't take standardized tests well. I failed many times, I kept it a secret. I ran from school, I took breaks um, because I couldn't figure it out. And it took people believing in me, taking a chance on me. Shout out to Dr. Robert Haney. When a lot of traditional schools were about to kick me out, he made sure to connect me with institutions that helped me to figure out what was going on with my test taking anxiety. And ultimately I overcame that. So what you don't see in a bio is when I failed, when I um, got anxious, when I was depressed, when as a international black woman immigrant, Right. A lot of the overt racism, micro and macro aggressions really had me going through some dark spaces with no support. When you're put in places where you're the only black person in a whole department, how isolating that can be. That doesn't make its way to a bio, but that's also a part of my 30 year journey. So I'm mostly proud of where I am, not because of what's on my bio, but of what I had to fight to overcome. Right. Without the level of privilege people around me had to still be the first black female physician director of health for the city of St. Louis. That's why I'll big myself up, because it was the struggle that I'm proud of, not necessarily, you know, the stuff that you guys had to read in my bio.
2: Mm. Yeah, I wanted Man. to I wanted to like I wanted hey! to clap. You
1: know, clap like <laughs>
3: <laughs> The premise of our project is to boost vaccination confidence.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, so with that said, what is your take on historical events that created uh, distrust towards vaccination uh, within certain demographics?
1: So this is what I'm gonna need y'all to do. I'm gonna need y'all to cut me off because this right here, this question right here is my jam. So once I get started, we could be here for a while. So I, I need you to not be shy and be like, I need you to calm down and I need you to wrap it up, okay? So let's talk about it. Cause this needs that. to be stated. Oh my God, you know? this is, Isn't I refuse it? to do a talk if they're not gonna be comfortable with me getting really real with them, right? So one of the things at the beginning of the COVID pandemic that drove me crazy was once the disproportionate impact within black communities, that data came out, we were getting COVID at higher rates than white folks. We were getting severe disease and we were dying. It was the righteous indignation and the shock. I wanted to slap everybody because I was like, there is nothing new about this copy and paste high blood pressure, copy and paste diabetes, copy and paste cancer, copy and paste literally every medical condition. So it has nothing to do with the disease state. It has to do with health disparities that are rooted in historic and current systematic institutionalized racism, right? So let's take it back. During slavery, the bodies of black people were considered property. We'd had no informed consent. So they literally could use our bodies for experiments, much like the atrocities you hear from um, apartheid or um, from, from, from the Nazi period, right? Our bodies were used without consent. I can give you examples, if we had time today, of atrocious experiments, because I've done a lot of research into this. Slave masters who also happened to be physicians would literally take slaves. An example was a slave called Fed. They dug up a pit, would put him in in it every day for 12 hours at a time, cover him in dirt, so only his head was above water, I mean, above the ground, and then subject him at the highest um, temperatures, different temperatures, to see what it would take how long he could stay awake before he would pass out, only so they could see how long they could work him. So they'd give him different medicines to see which one would keep him awake the longest. There is the, 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 the considered the father of modern um, um, OB, ob you know, obstetrician and gynecology, Dr. Marion Sims, who would do experiments on female black women slaves. Anesthesia was available at the time. He would do them without anesthesia. He would go into their private parts, prying, at their organs, removing, um, repairing fistulas. So think about like if you had plumbing in your body, right? And, and and there was a hole in the plumbing and you had to like literally sew it up. He did this without anesthesia. And only when he perfected his technique did he use it on white women with anesthesia. Let's go to 1951, Henrietta Lacks, 31 years old, died from cervical cancer at Johns Hopkins University. They took her cells from her body without her consent because they figured out that those cells HeLa cells, right, would like live in perpetuity. They just keep replicating it so we could use them. We've used them for decades now um, for experiments that have literally saved medicine. Her family for 20 years didn't even know they were in existence. They never got a formal apology or any compensation. Tuskegee, 30 years that black men were subjected to, were being told that they were being taken care of with syphilis when penicillin was available and they weren't offered it once. They, their children, their partners all got horrific, horrific medical conditions and some even died. Right. So we want to call that hesitancy, vaccine hesitancy, because black people don't trust the current, you know, government, scientific and medical institutions that literally failed them and, and, and did atrocious things in the name of science and medicine. But it's not just historic. It's current day. Right. We know and we have research and a lot of publications that show that black and brown people are not treated equitably in these same institutions. And so I have very I take I'm almost offended now by the term of vaccine hesitancy because there's nothing hesitant about what we've endured historically and currently in the name of science. It, it, it should be increasing vaccine confidence because the onus should be on the same people whose institutions have oppressed us to do the work of increasing vaccine confidence
2: and you you know it's um it's uh a willingness to admit by uh people in the medical field that that made me more willing to get vaccinated that's right you know you know as opposed to trying to act like it didn't happen or oh it was a long time ago get over it you know what i'm saying It, it was the it was the accepting responsibility and, and, and saying, I, I, I get why they, right. why they don't trust it. Like, when I
1: talk to my colleagues, I say, it literally takes nothing to do, say two sentences. You're right and I'm sorry. That goes a long way. Rather than trying to prop yourself up on some self-righteous pedestal, because you don't believe that you didn't directly do it, why do you have to? I'm a black woman and I say, you're right, I'm sorry because I res- I represent those institutions. When I worked at WashU, I am a part of that institution. So when someone comes and tells me about and a a negative experience they've had or what's happened in their community. It takes nothing for me to acknowledge that and to apologize and to help those defense mechanisms come up so that now we can dialogue. And even then, let's be very clear, right? You met me today, you don't know me from a bar of soap. So that trust can't be manufactured overnight, which is the other reason why we have to commit It's not enough to have these conversations. I now hold the federal government and the CDC accountable to where is the data? Because Dr. Corey Bradley has taught me data is justice. And if you've looked historically, there's never been data for black people in the same wealth that there has been for other minoritized groups. It's what's happening in the transgender community right now. We can't even get them data and funding, I mean, uh, funding and policy, because we don't even have data about what's going on in their community right? It's not even prioritized. So we need data, we need funding, and we need policy if you're going to make us believe that you're serious about health equity in the most serious sense. Yeah. Definitely.
2: 100%. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, y'all good. The audience want to clap. Yeah, most definitely, 100%. Um, yeah, yeah, really.
3: You you did kind of answer my second question following the first. Yeah. Of, um, what would be the ideal method Uh to eliminate future distrust and non-compliance because you know it's it could be a person of authority it could be a president it can be uh, local officials that tell you just get it but it's like that trauma and with the data it what can what what, what do you advise that could be a way to
1: Well, let's keep it real, right? We botched this pandemic. Like this pandemic has been a literal nightmare in lessons of what not to do. So I got to meet Dr. Rashal Walensky. She came to St. Louis last week. I don't know if you saw it in the press. She's the head of the CDC. And St. Louis is the first health department that she's ever visited. Stand up St. Louis. I was really proud of that. And um, as the director, I think you're getting a sense of how I am. Um, I, I was given an hour and I pitched six hours and they committed. And then I said, I want to take you to North St. Louis to the federally qualified health centers to the hood. Um, and I want you to see equity in action. But I also want you to see physically how your policies affect real life people. And it was such a beautiful day. And to her credit, she has taken a lot of criticism. She has had a rough time. My dream used to be the the head of the CDC. I don't even know anymore because this pandemic, I mean, the CDC took hit after hit after hit. But the one thing I respected about her is that she was very self-aware. We had some candid dialogue. And instead of just kissing her ass because I want a future job potentially maybe in 10 years, I um, said the things I say on Twitter or behind closed door her face politely, you know, um, and we engaged in dialogue. And what I really loved was she knew What went wrong? She knew some of the mistakes, right? And it speaks to your answer about what can we do in the future, is I like to learn from the past. So let's think about some of the things that went wrong. One of the things I saw is that we didn't have enough people who are actually good communicators, right? Not to big myself up, but often I've had people say, man, if I'd had access to someone who speaks like you, I I think it wouldn't have been as much of an issue. So putting people on TV that may be book smart, but who just aren't great educators and communicators is a problem. Number two is being honest. Sometimes the medical community, well not sometimes, we're really condescending. We think we're so high up and amazing with our 30 years of education and our multiple degrees that we don't trust that the public can handle the truth, right? So we sugarcoat it or we dilute it down so much that when people then, under you know, when things go a different way, the public then is distrustful or are saying mixed messages we heard a lot or straight up they lied, right? When really all you need to do is be a little bit more transparent and a little bit more willing to say things like, we don't know, right? Or medicine is not static. It's not a monolith. It's not the same one day, the next week, the next month, the next year. Viruses, are the reason why I love I wanted to be an infectious diseases doctor is because viruses are gangster. Like they they literally will figure out what's going on and mutate. And then they'll figure that out and mutate. So you're constantly catching up with them. That's why we haven't been able to find a cure for HIV after all these years, right? So we should have told the public that we may be telling you one thing now, but we're literally learning as we go, and that is gonna change. So someone may say mask now, and then when things are better, you can drop masks. But we didn't give them that expectation and that trust went away. Right, um, but the most important part I think of earning trust is understanding that it takes time, and so leaning into people who have earned the trust of those of the community, and those are people like our faith leaders you know, pastors, um, you know, that's why I have a clergy advisory board. It's our federally qualified health centers, not the Wash and the the Slew's all the time, right? It's leaning into them because they've literally been in these communities helping poor black people for years, right? It's leaning into you guys. You guys have earned the trust of your community. I'm here on a Saturday as opposed to being somewhere else because I know that young people are gonna listen to you, not me. So it's about identifying who trusted leaders are, letting them take the lead, arming them with the data, the funding, and the and the know how, but letting people who have, have yet to earn that trust take a back seat and be comfortably be comfortable being support staff.
2: Wow, um, I would love to sit here and talk to you all day. That that that's what we want, to. we'd love to have you back if you'd be willing to come back. You yes. know, with your director. Which well, I'm going to say it on live
1: so y'all can't play me. Uh, see this merch? Uh, I asked for some and they said they didn't have it. So they then said... Is, where's the camera which camera am I talking to yeah um, so they then wow. said they were going to bring me the merch to my office so I'm holding them accountable they've also live said they'd like to have me back so if you don't see me again it's because they're liars wow okay yeah. So I, get, I, guess,
2: I guess we got to get not
1: only Kay. do we got to get her back but we got to get her on Twitter with the
2: merch on <laughs> so who you know what I'm saying with, with all these followers we got to get her on
0: Twitter perception um, about to be
2: true I'm saying I'm saying right here if we wasn't telling the truth before we telling it now but no, 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 we were always going to do it. Um. So we have time for one more question to
1: close out. Yeah. Okay, so we have a question from Carisha who's in the Zoom right now. She okay. wants to know, how do you stay sane even though you know how insane injustice has been? Oh my gosh, thank you for asking that question. I'm not sane, I'm not okay. I put on a dress and some knee-high boots today because it's my job. Um, I fake the funk a lot, but I cry a lot. I um scream a lot i recently embarrassed myself at work because it's all too much and uh, public health has been under assault um i have staff that depend on me that are not getting paid equitably i have people resigning because um it, it's you know the, the burden of this job is so hard so i'm actually not okay and so being here is actually healing for me you all are healing, you all are support system. Um, so I surround myself and make sure I stay connected with what's real and that gives me fuel. I am now a person of privilege. So I, I remind myself that even though I get to cry a little bit, I get to go home to a beautiful house, a partner who loves and supports me and who I can hand the kids when I'm having a bad day and take a nap and, and some people don't have that. Um, but I have been really intentional about pruning and I wanna give this to y'all young. It's okay to say that some people, whether it's family or friends or people in your professional life are for a season and some for a lifetime. When I started being very intentional about keeping my circle tight and with people who are loyal, who are uplifting, who are positive, Um, And that that doesn't mean yes people, right? But not people who are destructive. And sometimes it's me. I've been that for somebody else. And it's okay to say no. It's okay to have boundaries. And it's okay to move on from certain relationships. Because everybody can't go with you where you're going. So I think the reason I'm able to say somewhat sane is what I'll say. Because I don't feel sane right now. It is hard right now. Um, Is because I have an amazing team. My mom my sisters, my best friends, my husband. Oh, I got myself a king, y'all. Like Jesse Allen Davis will ride right now. Do you understand? He is, he is down for the cause now. If I wasn't being treated while at work, I remember the job that I resigned from because of racism, because of not being supported. I, he literally was like, you can quit today and I'll, I'll quit with you and we'll go. So I'm just very fortunate that I have worked hard to be in a position where I um, I, I, I have options, but I also surround myself with a team that supports me so that when it gets real tough, um, they've got my back. And, and that's really what it is. But while I make it look cute on TV and when I'm on CNN and stuff, your girl's struggling, okay? Mm. it's it's, it's, mm. it's real hard right now.
2: And it's okay to not be okay. Yes,
1: it's okay. Yes, it's
2: okay. It's okay. We all we all go crazy. Yes, thank you, thank and thank you for uh, being authentically yourself. Absolutely, it, it helps people to to be to authentically be themselves. Listen,
1: what they don't see is the, you guys are hyping me. They don't even know me. I got a hype squad out here. Yo, <laughs> I mean, the thanks. energy hey, yo, in this room it. is we crazy.
2: We, you know what I'm saying, we like black excellence too. Come you on, know what I'm saying? we with it with it so we actually we're actually gonna have our dancers come up and uh do a short number
1: I'm really excited real quick, for that. And then
2: we're gonna close out uh everybody on zoom thank you so much for joining us we hope you stay for the number please uh and uh still if you have questions put them in the chat even if we don't have time to get them asked right now we're gonna bring the doctor back and you just heard it she said it on live everybody live. heard it so we're gonna live. bring the doctor back we'll on record best down.
1: interview i've ever had on record, oh, love y'all it here. Heard that, y'all heard on it. record, y'all heard that. So, so, on
2: record, so I'm gonna put my Instagram up after this, and I need you to say that again on my camera. Okay, okay. But, uh, we hope that you feel like you're gonna walk away from this Zoom more informed than you were when you came in. We want to thank you so much for being a part of this. We want to thank the CDC Foundation. We want to uh, thank Dr. Davis for uh, joining us as well.
0: Thank you for listening. We want to give a very special shout out to the Stitch Cast Studio sponsors. Story Stitches is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts, the Lewis Prize for Music's 2021 Accelerator Award. Additional support for Stitch Cast Studio and Story Stitches youth programs was provided by the Spirit of St. Louis Women's Fund, City of St. Louis Youth at Risk Crime Prevention Grant of 2021, Lust Corporations, the Charity Pot, and March for Our Lives, Aid, and Allowance. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them story stitches. Story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches.